You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we're going to head in just a minute while you guys are finding that spot. Um, we, uh, we've been in this series for the last three weeks. This is week four. And so, uh, man, I've just been overwhelmed with the response of kind of what God is doing and, and how God is growing. And um, one example is of a guy who his wife had left him um, after 20 years of marriage. And uh, he's been coming to our church for a little bit. And through this series, God's just been working on his heart, you know. And, and uh, one, one afternoon he came to me and he said, said, Trent, after, you know, however many years of just bitterness and anger, I finally, this past Sunday, gave it over to the Lord with tears in his eyes. And, you know, it's just, it's just overwhelming to kind of see the presence of God working in people's lives. There was a guy who, who his, his family member had been murdered. And uh, the guy that actually committed the crime is in jail. And of course, the brother um, has been angry and bitter about, you know, this and dealing, grieving and so many emotions as it comes with that. And through this series, he came to him and he said, he said, Trina, what I've realized is that, you know, me forgiving him has nothing to do with him. You know, I've got to deal with this in my own heart. And uh, with tears in his eyes, he said, man, I laid it down and I told my mom what she did and she broke down and now she's, now she's listening to the messages online and now she's like getting to a place to where she's really close to doing the same thing. So it's like, you know, we get pumped up and you hear us talk about people getting baptized and getting saved and all that stuff. But, you know, regardless of if, if, if that stuff is happening on, you know, record numbers, like God is still moving and, and God's spirit is still like changing people. And, and for me, that, that, that gets me jacked up. And so, you know, today as we kind of close, uh, uh, we close with this thought that, that Jesus is in the business of taking broken people and healing them. And, and, and God takes broken things, you know, broken relationships, broken marriages, and he makes them beautiful. You know, and so we want to we wanna think about this for a minute. And when you think about brokenness, it usually brings to our mind like negative thoughts, you know. It's like brokenness, ah oh man, that feels negative, That's a, that has a negative connotation. And so, you know, we think brokenness, you know, is bad. When we have broken, broken things in our, at home, what do we typically do with it? We throw it away, you know. And usually in, in your marriage, one of you wants to throw it away and the other one wants to keep but just in case, you know, that person um, that never wants to throw stuff away. And so, yeah, I mean, broken things we, we tend to throw away. And when we hear about somebody, a person that is broken, we usually think, okay, they're in a desperate situation. You know, there, there's some really unhealthy things going on. And really, nobody wants to be broken. Nobody came in here and punched the I want to be broken today card, you know. But in the Bible, when you read about brokenness, you see that brokenness is actually a characteristic of a believer. And so we read scriptures like in Psalm 51 where David is confessing his sin and, and this whole chapter is just a beautiful chapter. If you've never read it, man, you've got you to go home and read it. But, but one of the verses in chapter 51, verse 17, David repents and, and he says, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise so the idea here for David is that I am coming to you and my spirit is broken before you. I have a contrite heart, which means a, a humbled heart before God. 
And he says, I know you're not gonna despise this guy. When I run to you with brokenness, you're gonna receive me. And earlier in chapter 34, David is talking about the joy he has because when he confesses his sin, you know, when we experience God's forgiveness, there's joy in that. And so in Psalm 34, David says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So as we are brokenhearted before God, like he is drawing near to us. And as he draws it near to us, he, he lifts us and blesses and encourages and restores and heals and he makes brokenness beautiful. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now the poor in spirit are simply those who are spiritually broken before God. And so over and over again, time and time again in the scripture, we see that brokenness is a quality, it's a characteristic that as believers, we've got to embrace if we want to grow, if we want to deal with our sin. And so what is spiritual brokenness? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not a woe is me, I'm the victim, everybody's against me, I always get the short end of the stick mentality. No, brokenness is completely different. Brokenness is, is understanding the fact that without God, we are nothing. It's, it's, it's understanding that we come to God with nothing uh, before us, nothing that would add value to God. He is infinitely worthy. And so we bring nothing to the table to God. We are empty without him and we hand over the reins of our life to him. And so we are, we are broken, realizing our need for him in our life. And so spiritual brokenness and surrender go hand in hand. So when we are broken, we are surrendering areas of our life before him. We're surrendering our will before him. We're surrendering and, and recognizing that we are empty. We are nothing without him. And so spiritual brokenness is when we come to God and say, God, I need you. I can't do this without you. I can't, I can't function without you. Everything I am, God, I give to you. And when you come before God with a broken heart, a contrite heart, broken over your sin, broken over your need for this Savior, he draws near to you and he makes broken things beautiful. In Isaiah chapter 61, we see the prophecy of this coming Messiah, Jesus, and what he's coming to do and, and what now on the other side of, of the cross, now we can see what he has done and what he is doing. And so when we look at it, we reflect and we, we acknowledge what he's doing in our heart. We see it everywhere and it should encourage us. And so Psalm 61 verses one through three, it says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has an, anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So Jesus says, part of my role as Messiah is to bind up those who have a broken heart, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. Listen to this, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. See, God came to, to you know, remove all the sorrow, the ashes that, 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 would, that would lead to grieving and sorrow. And he says, I, I wanna replace that with beauty. I wanna replace that with joy. He says, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Some of you walk in today and you have a spirit of despair, man. You feel empty, you feel hopeless. 
And in Christ, in Jesus, we see that he wants to replace that spirit of despair with a garment of praise. And he says they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So the whole point is that Jesus is coming and he's, he's giving us beauty where there's darkness and ashes. He's restoring our joy. Instead of sorrow and grief, he's giving us joy. He's giving us a garment of praise. And, and he does all of this so that we might display his splendor to the world. So that we might display his goodness to him and others see this in us and through us. And, and this is what our life is about. This is what Jesus does for us. He's in the business of making broken people beautiful. So how does he do this? Well, he does this first and foremost by giving us, by faith in Christ, a new identity. The Bible says that we are a new creation in Christ. And so he gives us this new identity. And so the problem with believers is that sometimes we don't understand this new identity. And therefore, we don't live our life through that identity. Instead, we live life with an identity and an understanding of who we are from a worldly perspective. And so we totally miss out on what Christ can and has done for our life. And so I want to explain that for a minute before we hop into our scripture. Um, first of all, how many of you guys are dog lovers? Any, any, any dog lovers? All right, um, I, I've got two dogs. I've got a 14-year-old little prissy poodle that doesn't like to walk in the grass and that hates our kids. <laughs> So, so we needed a new pet and our kids for the longest time were, were begging us to get a new dog. And so this past Christmas, we decided to go for it and they wanted a big dog. So we got a big dog and, and uh, you know, Christmas morning is awesome. They're opening their presents and we always save the best one for last, you know, and so they're opening their best one and they're all pumped and excited. And my daughter Bailey, she'd been wanting this really, you know, a nice jacket, like one of those fleece jackets. And so she got it. She instantly put it on. She was excited and everybody thought the day was over. And so I was like, oh, I forgot there's one more, you know, played that whole routine and went into the, our bedroom and put the dog in the box, you know, and, and uh, brought him out and they opened it and they were floored. They had no clue. There were tears of joy. There was laughter. There was, there were, there was crying. It, it was incredible. And so, you know, they open up the box and Bailey picks up this cute little eight pound bundle of fur. He's now 70 pounds, but at the time... He was, he was just a little bundle of fur, you know, and so she picks him up and we got so many great pictures. It was wonderful. And all of a sudden, as Bailey is holding the dog on her brand new jacket, she says, I feel something warm. And sure enough, the dog peed all over. So it was straight into the laundry room after that. But it's like, you know, what I love about dogs is that they're always happy. We named him Brutus, by the way, and he's just always happy. He's just this clumsy, awesome teddy bear dog, you know, and he's always happy. He's always happy to see me. And the thing about Brutus is like he's never scratching his ear wondering who's talking about him. What are they talking about over there? Are they talking about me? He, he never stays up late at night pacing the kitchen floor wondering what his purpose in life is, <laughs> you know? He, he never struggles with guilt. He's never ashamed. Even when he peed on Bailey, he wasn't like ashamed. He didn't deal with guilt. Like he, he's, he, he doesn't care what people think about him. I mean, he licks himself in inappropriate areas and he doesn't care. He's like, I don't care. Take a picture, you know. Post it on Facebook. I don't care. You know, he doesn't care. Why does he not care? I mean, dogs bring us endless joy and so much emotion to our family. But at the end of the day, Pets don't struggle with their identity. 
They're not wondering who's talking about him. He's not, he's not looking at himself in the, mirror th- thinking, in the mirror thinking, have I gained a few pounds? You know, not, he, doesn't, he doesn't care about that stuff. Why? He doesn't care about who created him, what his purpose in life is, because animals aren't created in the image of God. But as humans, we are created in the image of God. And therefore, we do ask questions like, who am I and what am I here for? I mean, the two questions go hand in hand. When we ask ourselves who we are and what are we here for, we're, we're asking the very, very uh, most powerful questions a human can ever raise. And so we want to struggle with this identity. And, and for, the, for, for many of us, we struggle with this for a long time. We struggle with who we are and what we're here for. And, and so we try to find our identity in things. And so we say, well, you know, I would be important. I would be better off. Um, I would be, you know, valued if I was better looking. Or I would be important if I was more successful. You know, I, I would be better if I were married, if you're single. I would be, you know, I would feel more valuable and, and important if I had more, you know, Facebook friends. I don't know. And so we, we, we begin to let our ego tell us things like that. And, and so our identity forms and we start to think about things in light of what's happened to us in our past. And so we say things like, if I was never abused, then I would have been really special and life would have been great. If my parents had never gotten a divorce, then I wouldn't be messed up today. You know, if, if I had never lost my virginity, then things would have been, you know, I, I would be different. I'd be special or I, I would feel better about myself. We, we say things like that and, and, and we allow our past mistakes to hold us in this darkness in our life. If we had never been addicted, you know, then I would be special. And so we wrestle with our identity. For many people, they feel like who they are is wrapped up into what they do. And so if I am doing this or doing that and and people are patting me on the back and praising me for doing that, then I feel value. And when I feel value for doing these certain acts, then I become like enamored with that thing, you know, whether that's success or money or sports or whatever your thing is that you feel value doing and that becomes who you are. Because for most of us, our life, and and we experience love based on our performance. And so when we perform well, people like us, people respect us, people talk well of us. And so then we begin to live our life for other people instead of living our life for Jesus. Focusing on what he thinks and what he wants us to do. We care more about what they think and what they want us to do. And when we begin to do that, we begin to make idols out of people. And when you idolize something, eventually you will demonize it. What you idolize, you will demonize. Why? Because if I idolize my spouse and I, and I, and I love her and if I'm, if I'm saying, yeah, she's made me this and she makes me feel great and she's doing this and, and I feel valued because of this relationship, I'm, I'm her husband. And, and when people ask me who I am and, and I say, man, I'm a husband and this is my wife and I'm proud of her and she loves me. But at the end of the day, my wife is never going to completely satisfy me she cannot satisfy the inner desires of my heart because, because God has created me in such a way that there's an inner like void in my life that can only be filled by him. 
And so at the end of the day, she's never going to be able to do that. And so if I idolize her, eventually in my marriage, I'm going to wake up and realize that she isn't fulfilling me like I want her to fulfill me. She isn't loving me like I think she should love me. And so my expectations meet with reality. And then what happens is I begin to demonize her. I idolize you. You were going to fulfill my needs. Now you're not. Now you're the problem. And you're the bad one. You need to get your act together. And, and maybe I'd married the wrong person. And maybe this. And we demonize. Maybe it's your boss. And so you idolize your boss. He's this. She's that. And you, you thought highly of her. And then you began to work for her. And then as you began to get to know her, you, be, you didn't experience the, the, you know, the pat on the back. Or you weren't getting the encouragement that you thought you needed. And now all of a sudden the person that you idolize, now you demonize. She's this and she's that. Or he's that. They're not fulfilling your needs. They're not doing what you expected them to do. Whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. And it all comes out of this desire deep within our hearts to be known and valued. And and we get value on what we do and how we perform. And so that becomes our driving engine, our our force and, and our performance. And the world wants us to find our identity in something or someone smaller than Jesus. Your identity, though, is firmly anchored in the accomplishments of Jesus, not your accomplishments, in his performance, not your performance, in his strength, not your strength. And so our entire identity is firmly anchored in what he has done, and it has nothing to do with what you have done or will do. Living in this freedom, though, means that we are having the faith and the prayer life and the walk with with Christ that allows the Holy Spirit to teach us and speak that truth into our life, beginning to accept who this person is. This, this, This man, this woman that God has created, and who am I in Christ? Well, it has everything to do with what Jesus has already done. And so I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 because this speaks directly to who we are in Christ. So if you have put your faith in Christ, this is who you are today. Some of you are going to hear this stuff and you're, you're going to say, I don't feel like any of that. And that's part of the challenge, like embracing the promise that this is who you are. Let's take a look. Let's start in verse 9. He says, but you, those who have faith in Christ, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's just unpack that today because this is, this is who we are. When somebody asks you who you are, like, like where do we find our identity? First of all, if you're taking notes, number one is you're a chosen race. You're a chosen race. In verse 9, he says, you and I in Christ are a chosen race. Now, he's talking about a corporate identity, you know, the church. But the, the reality is the implication is for us as believers individually as well. And so, so when he calls us a chosen race, listen to me, this has nothing to do with your race. So Christianity, following Christ, being a chosen race, has nothing to do with whiteness or blackness or tanness. It has nothing to do with your culture or the color of your skin. 
It doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter what color of skin we have. As believers, he is calling us into one race. And so as believers, listen to me, as believers, we should be at the forefront of fighting against racism in our country today. And it is not going well. And we should be the ones that are speaking up for our brothers and sisters who are in a different culture or a different race. We should not be silent and we for sure shouldn't be encouraging symbols of racism in our community. Because as believers, let me tell you, you have more in common with someone from a different race, a different culture, a different color of skin than you do with people that you work with every day. You have more in common with those who are in Christ and have a different color of skin, more so than potentially your own family members. Do you realize that? Because in Christ, we are a chosen race. Together, God has called us to be in one family. And so here's what we're seeing here. Yeah, there's a race, and the race has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has everything to do with chosenness. So who am I? I'm chosen. That's a big deal. Some of you were always picked last for, the, for the, you know, the playground game. Some of you always feel like you're picked last, whether it was who you wanted to date or who you married or whatever. And so that's kind of, that insecurity is kind of living within you. But, but that's destroyed when we know who we are in Christ because he chose you. And he chose you to be in his family, his race. Secondly, he calls us a royal priest. In verse 9, you are a royal priesthood. Now, what does that mean? Like, like a royal priesthood. So, so the truth is everybody in here who has faith in Christ is a priest. And you're like, whoa, I'm, uh, that kind of makes me feel weird. I'm definitely not wearing that collar trend. And you don't even wear that, man. So I'm not. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with what we wear. But, but as a priest, it means two things. The first and foremost thing that it means is that you and I have immediate access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we can go to the throne room of God. We can go to God immediately, directly to him through Jesus Christ. That's why when we end our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen, because we are coming to the Father in the name of Jesus. And that's the only access we have to God. And so immediate access through Jesus we have his word that speaks to us and that teaches us who he is and what he wants to do in our world and our life and, and we have access to him. You don't need a priest to confess your sins. You don't need me to confess your sins to. You go directly to God. But the second thing it means is that we have an active role to play in God's kingdom. So as a priest, what that means is we are all ministers. Whether you're full-time, you know, getting paid, or if you're part-time, or if you're not paid, as a believer in Jesus, you are a minister. So as a priest, that means we have an active role to play. So you hear us talk about Camp 2, we, we, where we talk about your, your giftedness and your spiritual gifts and your personality, how God has designed you for service, for ministry. And so as a believer, you know, you are called to be a minister and so that means every one of us and so your life is either a spiritual act of worship or it's not Romans 12 1 so so if we are a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to the Lord we are we are living our life in service to God or we're not and if we're not that means we're living out of our character we're we're not living up to who we truly are because we're a 
or a holy priesthood. Third, God says that you are holy. In verses 9, you're a holy nation. You know, you're, you and I, because God chose us, he, he set us apart. He set us apart, and, and so we exist for God. As a holy nation, God, God declares us holy, and he sets us apart for ministry, for a purpose, for a mission. He sets us apart, and he says, you're holy. Now, we're holy not because we live holy. We're holy because we reflect the character of God because he declares us holy. He declares us righteous. And so if you come in the room and you are not living a holy life, I promise you, you are living an unfulfilled life. Now, there's a point to where we're never going to be, you know, without sin. And that's not what I'm saying. Like we, we reach perfection. I'm not saying that. But if there's, if there's sin in your life and you've not confessed that sin, you're not turning from that sin. And that's a sin that you're commit, continuing to commit in your life and you're not worried about it. You're just kind of doing your deal. You're living an unrepentant life. And no wonder you feel unfulfilled. No wonder you don't know who you are. No wonder you're struggling with your identity because you're not living life according to who you truly are in Christ, which is holy. He calls us holy. Fourth, he, he says that we are God's people. That means we are part of God's family. Look at verse 10. He says, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so he says, when God chose us, he then saw in us our guilt. He, he, he saw our shame and our condemnation and he had mercy on us. He showed us that mercy. He says that we were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. That means you have a family. A lot of you come from a broken home. You don't know your dad or your mom very well, maybe. You're not really close to your brothers or your sisters. You don't feel like you have a family. Some of you have a, a close family and, and you're experiencing that. And, and sometimes we, we allow that relationship to, to be our idol and we don't experience the family of God as Christ intended us to. So no matter where you fall on that scale, at the end of the day, we realize that we are a part of God's family. We are a part of the family of God. He chose us and he made us a family. Now act like it. He says very clearly that once you were not a people, but now you are a people. See, the Bible is very clear that before Christ, we are spiritual orphans. And if you're an orphan, you don't have a family and you don't have an inheritance. You know, you don't have a future inheritance. There's nothing that dad's gonna leave you when he leaves the world, right? So there's no inheritance, there's no family. We're spiritual orphans, but when we receive Christ by faith, he makes us a part of his family and he adopts us as a son and as a daughter of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. Romans 8, 15 says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves. In other words, when you become a follower of Christ, you know, it doesn't make you a slave. Like, like, like he's not forcing this. Like, like this is a benefit for us to, to that we're a slave to fear again. Now we're afraid and living. No, that's not the point. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption as sonship. In other words, as sons and daughters. Now through, through our adoption process with Jesus, now we're sons and daughters of, 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 of God. Now don't, don't breeze by that. Let that sit. Let that, let that rest within you. Like some of you were adopted. And you struggle because you think, well, my, my real parents didn't love me. And so they just kind of left me. But on the flip side of that, you've got a mom and a dad who chose you, who didn't have to. 
And they brought you into that family and showed you that mercy where you weren't receiving that mercy. And so God has done an incredible work in your life and, and God has adopted you into that family and God has adopted us through Christ into his family. Adoption is perhaps one of the clearest pictures of the gospel that we could actually turn to in, in, in our world. You know, when you think about what adoption is. And so, so we think about that and realize that in the adoption process, as God is adopting us, there's a statement there that reveals the identity of the child who is adopted. And the identity of the child, you and I, as we come to him in faith, is that we are chosen and loved. And then the other thing that that adoption process reveals is the character of the father who adopts. And the character of the one who is adopting is of love and is of mercy and is of choosing us. We weren't receiving mercy and guess what? Now we are receiving mercy and experiencing that mercy. In Christ, we have this inheritance. So not only are we experiencing the family of God, but now we're also guaranteed a future with God. And so the inheritance of Christ, the promise of heaven, the promise of rewards, and so, so often we live our life as if this is our permanent home. You know, the 70, 80, 90 years that we get here, we live as if this is our permanent home. And yet that is a blip on the screen, right? Compared to eternity in the presence of God. And so our focus and our attitude has to be that eternity, has to be that future inheritance that we gain with Christ. And so we see all of this. We see he's calling us to do this. And, and then number five, here he says, you are God's special possession, special possession. And I, and, I, and I say special because this is unique. In verse 9 he says, You're, you are a, a, a people for God's own possession. And then in verse 10 he says, you were once not a people, but now you're, you're people. And so we're, we're chosen by God to be his own possession. So, so this is a unique and special uh, possession. Like God owns everything. God owns your house, your car, God owns your kids, God owns your life. So there's one sense that God owns everything. But here in this passage, there is a unique possession of his people. So it's a, it's a, it's a unique and special possession that he's saying here. He's saying that, that, that God has chosen us. He's made us a royal priesthood. That he has adopted us into his family. And he's made us holy and that's why in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, I will be their God and they will be my people. In other words, I'm going to walk with them and be with them. It's a special relationship here that, that I have with my people. And why is he doing all of this? Why is he allowing all of these great attributes to become ours, our chosenness, you know, this calling of adoption, all of these wonderful things that, that we get to understand as our true identity? And he says it very clearly, if you look again in the passage, he says all of this is happening in verse nine, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And even think about Isaiah 61, why did all that stuff happening? To display his splendor. So here's the reality, at the end of the day, God made you who you are so you could show others who he is. Let that sit for a second, like this is it, right? Like God made us who we are today so that we could show the world who he is, to put him on display, to share and, and proclaim the excellencies of God in us and through us. Like this is why we 
are here. Yeah, you've got a job working in a factory or working at a bank or working wherever you work, but your whole existence depends upon your ability, not your ability, but God's ability in you to save you, to make you holy, to make you a people, and to put himself on display in your life. See, that's the whole point. God made you who you are so that you could show the world who he is. Now listen, all the bad things that happen to you all the good things that happen to you. Who you are today is resting on this principle here. Like God made you who you are. The warts, the bumps, the scars, the bruises, the mistakes, the victories, everything in your life. He's made you who you are. And he didn't force those evil events to happen in your life. We live in a sinful world and evil will take place in a sinful world because, in a sinful world because people do evil things. But God makes us who we are, and you're who you are today, all right? God made you who you are. Why? So that you can put him on display to the world, so you can show the world who he is. Now think about this for a minute. We are all broken vessels, you know? We're all broken vessels. We're, we're imperfect. We've made mistakes. We have regrets. We have shame. And if we will admit our brokenness, if we will admit our need for Christ in, in this area, in that area, in every area, then out of that broken and contrite heart, God can make that life beautiful. He can make that bad relationship beautiful. I've seen him take broken marriages and fix them and make them beautiful. I've seen him take broken financial situation, fix them and make them beautiful. How do these things happen? They happen from brokenness. You see, we've been talking about kind of the, the side effects of brokenness the, the first few weeks. Okay, we've got shame because of brokenness. We have regret because of brokenness, broken pieces of our life. But here we kind of come full circle and say, yeah, 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 okay, okay, here we go. This is what God is doing with that brokenness. He's taking that regret, that shame, those mistakes, and he's wrapping it all the way around here. And he's saying, I'm using that brokenness to refine you. James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You see that testing in your life, that trial in your life is the grace of God. You say, oh man, it was the worst event of my life, Trent. No, -uh, that was terrible. No way, God, listen, listen. If, you, if you're truly in Christ today, then he's taking all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, and he's using it for his glory and for your good. And even in that trial, you're looking at that and you're seeing that God is making you who you are so that you can show the world who he is. Think about a, 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 you know, a broken vessel. Think about a jar that's cracked and it's got crevices and it's got you know, holes in it. And, and that's, that's us. And, and, and how does God put himself on display to the world? It's when his marvelous light is dropped within our heart and in our life and, and, and shining through those cracks and those crevices and those failures and those mistakes, the light of Jesus Christ is like shed upon those around us. And they see the love of God and the light of God through that brokenness because why? We're putting him on display. And so God is using this brokenness in our life. Your pain isn't, isn't like uh, useless in your life. You can recycle that pain, like, like that scar that you have from that wound, that mistake. It's healed some, you know, 
But it's like in Christ and my new identity here, as I'm a new creation, I can look at these scars differently and I can say, you see this scar right here, man? Yeah, that was a stupid relational mistake, man. That cost me years of happiness. Like, look at this and don't do this. Don't do what I did. You see this scar here? That was a stupid financial mistake. You know, I made some bad, don't do this. And so it's like God is using our wounds. He's using our scars if we will allow him to. But some of you are allowing those wounds and those scars to draw you in this little cave, this little, this little you know, built up fortress where you're not saying or sharing or doing anything except for taking care of numero uno. It's like there's gotta be a point in your life where you embrace your identity in Christ, that you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood. God has given you a purpose. He's given you a reason for being here and it's to serve him. You exist for God. And if you are not living in that identity today, no wonder you feel empty. No wonder you're not satisfied with life. No wonder you feel empty in your marriage because it's only through the life-giving water of Jesus Christ and that relationship with him that you and I are satisfied and our soul at the deepest level drinks deep and enjoys this, this, this intense relationship with our Savior, our Redeemer. And so for some of us today, it's, a, it's an embrace of who he is and it's a rejection of the lies in your life. Because you're hearing this, you're like, okay, I get all this, but, but at the end of the day, I feel guilty, abandoned. But, but the idea is, in Christ, you're totally secure. He chose you. For some of you, you still believe in the lie that you're worthless or inadequate, and, 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 and in Christ, you're deeply significant. Again, we go back to you're holy. You're a chosen race. God adopted you into the family. You are significant. You do have a purpose. You do have a reason for being here. Some of you are believing the lie of rejection or I'm loved or I'm you know, shameful because of, of what's happened. And at the end of the day in Christ, we are completely accepted. And again, it's not because of our work, it's because of his work. So the challenge for us is to know who we are from God's word and then it's to live it out. It's to embrace it and the Holy Spirit does this in our life. As how? We come before him broken. And that's how I wanna end today. I want to challenge you to come before God broken. That you would allow the spirit of God to break your pride. And you come to him and you say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you in this situation. I'm completely at your disposal. I surrender everything to you. I surrender this situation and I surrender this sin and I surrender whatever it is that you're holding on to. And you give him the reins. You, you, let, you let him take the wheel of your life and you allow him to live in control of who you are instead of you living life in your own control. As we close today, we're gonna, we kind of flip-flop things um, we're going to hear God's word preached, and we're going to close today with worship. And part of that worship is the Lord's Supper. And so if you've got kids in the room, obviously, if they've accepted Christ, they can participate. But if you've not accepted Christ, the this, this, Lord's Supper means nothing, you know, until you understand who he is. So this is a great opportunity to teach our kids. But then also, this is a great opportunity as we take the bread to remember the brokenness that Jesus embraced on the cross paying for our sins taking our place and it was through his brokenness and his willingness to be broken that you and I can have life 
And so we embrace that life, we embrace his brokenness as we allow him to break us and bring us to our knees and confess sin to live our life according to his purpose. We take the juice knowing that his blood was spilled for our sins. Like our sin is a big deal. And it, it, the penalty is, is, is heavy. But in the cross, Jesus is taking our penalty. So the scripture tells us that as we, as we take the Lord's Supper, we're remembering the sacrifice. It's an act of worship. We're confessing sin. We're dealing with God in this relationship. Whatever it is that you need to mend or restore with him, you're spending that time. And the way we do it here at FC is you guys just do that on your own. And you take the bread and you take the juice whenever you're ready. I've asked the band to sing this beautiful song over us that really just, just kind of encapsulates this idea that you and I are sons and daughters and uh, of Christ and, and, and who we truly are in Him. And so we want to embrace brokenness, embrace this identity and who we are. And as I pray, guys, go ahead and get in position and we can begin to pass. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that through your brokenness, we can have hope. We can have salvation. We have forgiveness. Lord, as scary as brokenness sounds to us, may we embrace it today. May we embrace your love. May we give you control of every area of our life. And Lord, we want to we remember the cross as we take the bread and the juice today. We want to remember your sacrifice. And Lord, as we do this, we also want to worship you. May our heart be in a humble and contrite spirit today. We expect you to do great things and we look forward to our future, to the blessings that you have for us, God, as we embrace you and follow you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.